heart of a warrior just goes, and one just went to South Africa without any, as Pastor said, without anybody, uh, without knowing anybody over there. So what I would like to talk to you about tonight is just that, the heart of a warrior. Uh, and there's two things uh, that I want to speak to you about in developing the heart of a warrior. The first one is being mission-minded, keeping your mind on the mission, and the second one is having a vision for the mission. Amen? I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll have our seat. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you, Lord, and I just ask that you would open up the hearts and minds of your people, God, that you would give us eyes to see, Father, what you've called us to do, Father. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we say, amen. You may be seated. Amen. In Romans 10, 14, it says, how then can they call on the, on the one they have not believed in, right? And how now, and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? Amen. Let me ask you this. How then did you come to believe? How then did you come to hear the good news, the good news that we preach? Was it by somebody believing in faith for you? Was it by somebody believing and praying for your family in faith? Was it by somebody preaching Christ crucified, buried, raising and ascending, and is now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us? And now that we are here, what are we to do? 1 Corinthians 2.16 says this, for who knows the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Amen. Did you know that if you are in Christ Jesus, that if you are a disciple of Christ, if you are being led by the Holy Spirit of God, you have the mind of Christ? Did you know that? Amen. And if we have the mind of Christ, are we imitating Christ's love, his mercy, his compassion? Are we one in spirit with him? Are we in one accord of one mind and purpose and in spirit? Philippians 2, 1 and 2 says this. If there is any exhortation in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any tender mercies and compassion, make full my joy that ye may be of the same mind, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Verse 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others before yourself, putting on the mind of Christ, being mission-minded. So as we put on the mind of Christ, let us be mission-minded also. Let us have a vision for the mission that we too may obtain the heart of a warrior. This is our mission. In Matthew 28, 18 and 20, it says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right? Uh, it says December 21st. Amen. 
being mission-minded. We do this. We can do this. We can just, but we just can't do it on our own strength. Jesus says he will be with us until the end of the world. So why would we even try to do this in the supernatural? Tap in, or why would we, should we do this in the natural? Let's tap into the supernatural. Excuse me. Being mission-minded. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says this. Be ye imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The heart of a warrior is mission-minded. The heart of a warrior also has a vision for the mission. Isaiah 45, 2 and 3, we all know it, but it's our mission. I will go before you, and I will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bronze, uh, bars of iron. I will give you treasures out of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summoned you by name. In February 1958, a country preacher by the name of David Wilkerson, a pastor from Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania, saw a, saw a life, uh, life magazine photograph of seven New York City teenagers charged with murder and was moved by the Holy Spirit. It was then that he began his street ministry as the Holy Spirit gave him a vision to reach young drug addicts and gang members later to be known as Teen Challenge, which is now today. Putting on the mind of Christ, <coughs> Nikki Cruz and our founder, Sonny Argonzoni, would call on the one they had not believed in. They would believe in the one whom they have not heard. And they would preach and believe this good news, this gospel that we preach here today. Because David Wilkerson was mission-minded you and I can take part in this vision for the mission. Amen? Mission-minded and a vision for the mission Mission takes a heart of a warrior. Romans 10.1 says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and my supplication to God is for them that they may be saved. Let me say that one more time. Romans 10.1 says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and my supplication to God is for them to be saved. The heart of a warrior is in prayer. The heart of a warrior begins on the Damascus, Damascus road of our lives. Paul's, charge, Paul's change of heart started on the road of persecution. Our salvation began in the heart of God on a rugged cross on Calvary Hill. The heart of a warrior began when a man listened to the Holy Spirit of God say, do not give up. The heart of a warrior began when a couple and a two-year-old child began a local ministry. The heart of a warrior began when, the, when a widow would finish what God had purposed. The heart of a warrior would grow in wisdom and spiritual stature and take his place to continue this le legacy that began in the heart of God. Do you have what it takes to have this heart, the heart of a warrior? Victory Outreach, 
heart of the bay, you have this heart. A heart of a warrior, it's in our DNA. Amen? Let me go ahead and pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you, Lord God. And Father, we just want to thank you tonight, Father, for giving us this heart, God, for giving us a DNA, Lord God, a legacy, Lord God, that we could follow, Lord. Father, a local ministry, Father, that has a heart for you, the heart of a warrior, Lord. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we say, amen. amen. Give them another hand. That's great. That was great, amen. Thank you, Pastor. Sister Chella, if you're listening, Pastor Daryl, Pastor Willie. This is going to come out of um, Luke 15 and 11. It's a parable that Jesus told. It's a third of three parables that he told to the publicans and the sinners and the Pharisees. And it says this. Then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property on a dissolute, dissolute living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I'm dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. <clears throat> put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called out one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, he replied your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen. 
For all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, <clears throat> excuse me, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him, then the father said to him, son, you're always with me and all that's mine is yours, but we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He has lost, he was lost, and now he's been found. This story here is called the prodigal son, which means wasted. But maybe it should be renamed. You see, it says that a man had two sons. And you see the, oh, uh, I'm a crybaby. <laughs> and so you see it says a man had two sons. And when we see prodigal son, we think the prodigal son is the star. We think that the whole, the whole uh, 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 story here is only about the prodigal son. And we got to go into the Jewish times and the traditions and understand the inheritance law of those times to really understand this story. On those times, what happened is a father held control of his land until he died. And the oldest son got twice the amount of inheritance than the younger son. And if a younger son was to ask for his inheritance before his father died, he's telling his father, in other words, I wish you were dead. So in other words, he's no longer a son. And the father, by law, is, he can keep, he's supposed to keep control of his land until he dies. He don't have to give the property over. And so this was highly disrespectful of the prodigal son. And we know this. But also there's responsibilities for the second son. The second son's supposed to stand in and tell his and back up his father's play. The second son's supposed to come in and try to bring his younger brother to senses. That if you leave your father's house, you won't be under what is here, all the blessings that are for you. But the older brother kept quiet. Why? Because it says that the father divided the inheritance. And the older brother got twice the amount. Perhaps it was a, shelf, a selfish reason why he didn't talk his younger brother out of leaving. You see, we look at the older brother and we realize that he is kind of bad after he finds out his brother has came home. After he hears the party going on. After he asks the servant what's going on. And the servant tells him that your brother has returned and we're having a party. We think that's when he goes bad. But why didn't he speak up earlier? Why didn't he speak up when the brother was about to leave? Amen? So here we got the two brothers that are lost. We got two brothers that are equally sinners. Two brothers, one that thinks that because of good deeds and doing what he's supposed to be doing anyway, 
You see, because you don't get your inheritance until your father dies. Until then, you're supposed to work as a servant. You're supposed to be a servant to your father anyway. And he's complaining that he had to work as a servant all this time and that he was obedient. He was doing what he should have been doing, and yet he thought he should get something special for that. He's lost. He thinks that good deeds or doing the right thing should earn him something special. He's missing the boat. The younger brother don't want to be under the father's house. The younger brother wants to be far from the father's rule. The younger brother has his young energy, and he wants to go party like a rock star. <laughs> now, I pointed out that under the laws that the father had control until he died, so by giving the younger brother his inheritance early, he can't do nothing with it till the father dies. So he sells it. Now, if you buy something from somebody that you can't touch until the father dies, you're not going to give them the value it's worth. So in other words, he got pennies on the dollar. Then he went and squandered that. He went and blew that like a drug addict with a welfare check. <clears throat> he didn't want to be close to the father. He didn't want to be close to the father's rule. You're supposed to be under your father's rule until he died. You're supposed to be a servant until your father died. He went to a far-off country and worked for a Gentile. And he was eating corn husk. So I don't think the star of this story here is the sons. Maybe we should rename it the compassionate father. And the two lost sons. You see, the father didn't have to give him, yet he did. After the son disowned himself of any right to be a family member, and when he came and the father gave him the robe and put the ring and killed the fatted calf, he adopted him back into the family. And according to Jewish tradition at that time, now he's equal, he, he deserves equal share. His position is that of the older brother. So he left with one-third, and he came back and got equal share. He's now equal to the brother. So now you can actually understand the older brother's resentment a little more. It goes even more deeper. And yet when the father goes and tells the older brother to come in and welcome his brother, he don't want to share in the compassion of the father. He don't want to share in the forgiveness of the father. The father did not have to welcome the son back. The father didn't have to give him anything. The father didn't even have to give him a job like the son was asking for. Yet he welcomed him in and gave him everything. You see, we're missing the point here. There's a thing called mercy. And there's a thing called grace that I think is the whole point of this story. There's a lot of angles you can look at this from. But these guys did not get what they deserved, and they got a lot more than they deserved. You don't earn your way into heaven. It ain't by good deeds that get you a position. If you do good and everything you should, well, you should be doing it anyhow. It don't make you no better than the person walking in that door. And when that person walks in that door, we're supposed to welcome him as an equal. A matter of fact, if he gets a promotion, praise God. 
We're going to see people coming in that's going to sit in the front rows. And some of us might have been around for a while. And we might be asked to park the cars. Can we have the compassion of the Father? Or are we going to have resentment of somebody that feels we have something coming? See, this story here don't end. It don't tell us how it ends. You see, because the master storyteller, Jesus Christ, loves to put a mirror in front of each one of our faces. The master storyteller there, Jesus, put a mirror in front of the Pharisee's face. That's obvious. But he put one in front of the publicans' faces, the tax collectors. He put a mirror in front of the sinners' faces. And he says, somewhere in this story you are. How do you want to end your story? How do you want to end your story? Some of us... We're all in this story one place or another. Either we don't want to be close to the Father. Or we might come back like he did. Because we're hungry. You see? Or maybe we're seeing something that we don't really want. Or perhaps there's somebody here that we should convince and bring to their senses that we might not want to. But there's something here for everybody. And with that... We're going to open the altars and we'd like to pray for you, please. Somewhere, 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 somewhere. There's grace. There's things that we have to do for God. You see, this story here, it, it, it deals with me deeply. It deals with me deeply. It's a personal story for me. And I believe if you listen to it, it will be a personal story for you. Forgiveness is not easy. Both of these guys were very natural. It's not normal to want to forgive. It's natural to want and covet what's yours. When we do good deeds, we, we want something for it. And we actually start thinking that we got it coming. And when we see somebody else rising, sometimes we don't want to help them up. And sometimes we don't want to celebrate in the rising. And sometimes when somebody wants to leave, we might not say nothing because that might open a position for us. Or that might make what we want a little easier to obtain or keep. But the compassion of the Father is not like that. The Father gives when you don't deserve. And you don't give what you got coming. The altars are open. The altars are open. The altars are open. Come on. Ask the Lord to help you love. There's somebody we need to forgive. There's somebody that we need to help out. There's somebody that we need to talk into not leaving. There's somebody that we need to help convince got to learn to embrace each other. got to learn to embrace each other. Hallelujah. Ask the Father to fill you with his compassion. Ask the Father to fill you with your love, with his forgiveness, his understanding. Hallelujah. 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 Bless him, Father. Bless him, Father.